0: Is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday book. I talk. It's Doug Lane Maurice. We're doing the 10 rants, 10 takes again. This is what we do on the Wednesday pod. We react to what happened on Tuesday. When I started this idea, I was gonna do like half the rants myself and give the texters half the rants, and the rants from the texters are too good. 131. I got 131 rants and takes from texters, so I don't know how I can reduce that to five. Um, so I'm going to give you all ten this week, and I'm going to chime in. I'm very worried that perhaps, and we still have not decided on a name. We got get great name suggestions last week for this show. I'm worried this could be called Doug Explaining, where I take your opinions and then explain back to you why they're right or wrong. And I don't want it to be that. I think we probably also could name the whole pod Doug Explaining. So I'm going to try to be really careful with that because the opinions and the takes and the rants. Are fascinating. They are divergent. They come from opposite ends of the spectrum sometimes, but there are themes that develop. And so I tried to pick 10 themes more than anything else, and we'll get more than 10 rants in there. We're going to start off with something about CJ Stroud and that scrambling third down throw to Mayan Williams that has kind of saved the game. We could talk about the crowd noise on the games. We're going to do a lot with Mayan Williams. We got a lot of Mayan Williams thoughts. We're going to talk about Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom a little bit, talk about Ohio State, Georgia. We'll talk about C.J. Stroud in the run game. We'll talk about us being cranky. We'll talk about uh, the way we can tell our jokes. Then we're going to talk about generally some people think um, it can be exhausting to be an Ohio State fan. I do want to talk about that a little bit. And then we'll end up with Ryan Day's play calling where people do have a lot of thoughts. And I think we need to have a discussion about that. But let's get in to whatever this is. Buckeye talk, rants, and takes on this Wednesday as the Buckeyes are 1-0 after beating Notre Dame. This is from the 303. Hot take. C.J. Stroud was more impressive and more of an NFL quarterback against Notre Dame than in many 400-yard games last year. He knew he couldn't turn it over given the way the game went, and he didn't. Multiple times, the receivers were not in the right place in the zone. And he never showed them up. He extended multiple plays. The one time Notre Dame brought the house, he calmly diagnosed it, stood tall, and drilled it to the team's sixth-best receiver. A calm and professional performance that won't turn heads because of stats, but should be appreciated by NFL teams. I think there is a lot to that. From the 719, I'm irritated that people are already counting Stroud out for the Heisman. We don't win that game if he doesn't make those two stupid hard throws. One of two quarterbacks in the country would have made those. The other is Bryce Young, I'm assuming. I'm throwing that in myself. Additionally, the dude is so calm in the pocket, even with the pressure, looked like a complete pro the whole game. He'll get his mad numbers next week. But the thing that impresses me most is how calm, cool, and collected he is in the midst of the game, and he never forces anything. And then we'll do one more. And this gets down to that throw specifically from the two-five-three. Not really a rant, but something I've been thinking about. I can't remember who it was, but I think one of you guys made a C.J. Stroud-Joe Burrow comparison. Maybe it was Doug. I don't know. I think it was me. Anyways, when I saw CJ roll out and make those two tight throws in the sideline, I thought, you know who else is really good at that? Joe Burrow. He consistently displayed that ability his final year at LSU, and now he does it in the NFL. Just when you think the play is dead, he's running out of bounds or having a no way, that's a complete moment. Somehow he connects it. I'm not saying CJ is as good as Joe right now. But the ability to roll out, buy time, and extend plays is something CJ worked on this offseason, and I saw it Saturday night. So that in particular, that is something CJ worked on this offseason. Um, Ryan Day talked about that a lot on Tuesday. He's a little quicker, a little stronger, but also quicker, which lets him move around a little bit more. You know, it's one of those things. I, I asked CJ a lot of questions about that on Tuesday, because I do think maybe in the moment I underestimated, that play saved it. And I think that that is really important in two different ways because they get into that third and three on the final touchdown drive. And they're certainly not the point. They were ahead at that point. It's not that they would lose if he doesn't make that throw, but they certainly would be setting themselves up to maybe lose, which I think is a super important point about the overall context of the game, but a super important point about CJ Stroud. They take over with 11.50 left in the game at their own five yard line, up 14.10. Trevion Henderson, five yards on first down, seven yards on second down to get him out of the shadow of the end zone, which I think is also really important. First and 10 at the 17, short pass for four, second down Trevion for three. It's third and three from their own 24 with 944 left in the game when, when the play is not there and CJ now has to go make something happen. If he doesn't do that or if the ball, if Mayan on the sideline can't make that fingertip grab and toe tap. There's a million ways that play could have gone wrong. As CJ was explaining it, they worked that in the scramble drill earlier in the week. He said that's supposed to be a wheel route for Mayan. And as CJ said, he's not the uh, the fastest guy in the world, not a burner. So he didn't really beat his guy on the wheel, so it wasn't there. So then on scramble drill, Mayan ends up coming back to the ball after running that wheel route down the sideline. Also, by the way, that's maybe a tough spot to be running Mayan Williams, who's not a burner, on a wheel route. He said they had a play like that that didn't work in practice, right? I love when you hear those stories. We had that same kind of thing, and it didn't work. But when it mattered, it worked. That play saved the game. They very easily could have had to punt there. So you're punting up four from your own 24-yard line. Let's say you get, I guess, you know, Notre Dame would have gotten great field position. Maybe Notre Dame gets it up there. They're 25 but they're in position. They're, they have a chance to do something again. Instead, they complete that play. They end up in a 14-play drive that marches them down. They're in a spot where they could lose, which, I, I again, I'll save that for later. But CJ pulls them out of it. So I do think there's like three different things happening here. One is Heisman, in a big moment, in a big game like that on a national stage, it is a stat. Contest, right? It is a highlight contest, and so when you do stats and highlights, those that that kind of play, that's a highlight, right? But the stats, you know, in that moment, he didn't explode in the way that maybe you would have expected the Heisman front order to explode. All the all the things, all the caveats are known, right? So from a Heisman standpoint, okay, maybe you're not out, but also he didn't seize the moment. I mean, that's just a Heisman conversation. We have to be realistic about what the Heisman is now. Also as I've said many times over the years the Heisman's on a race. The Heisman is a like a boxing match at the end. So you can tread water for a while and if he throws six touchdowns against Michigan and they're undefeated, he's going to be in really good position, right? So um I'm just saying I don't think he looked like the over, the favorite, the clear favorite which he was in the betting lines, right? The favorite based on that. Did he make now did he look like an NFL quarterback? Yeah, he did look like an NFL quarterback. They were, clunk- they were clunky in the first half. Ryan Day said that again Tuesday. CJ said that again, right? It's kind of not there. And th- all the stuff we did talk about in the postgame pod, and we did ask about on Tuesday, that like, you know, young receivers, are you in the right spot? Are you reading the right things? CJ thought the ball to a Mecca, where we thought maybe a Mecca should have settled down a little bit. He was saying, I'm not going to get my guy killed. I'm not going to lead him right into a defender. He said, I thought I threw a good ball. You know, like I thought I put it in the right spot there. So um, he wasn't as crisp. In the precision passing game, as we often see, but as many of you all pointed out, as Ryan Day pointed out, as CJ pointed out on that play, they're dropping eight, nine guys, right? So CJ says they're dropping eight into coverage and they're playing, um, they're they're filling every hole in the passing lane. That's why there's nothing there in that third and three, because where he looks that he looks and he, he looks, it's not there because they're dropping so many guys. So in the end, that was a an incredible play by a quarterback who I agree is one of the few quarterbacks who can make that kind of play. Was it a Heisman game? In a lot of ways, no. Did you beat a top-five team? Do you make a couple highlight plays? Absolutely. So was he at his best? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Did he find it in the moments when they needed it? Yes. Yes, he did. Right? You read the Xavier Johnson situation. You see those two safeties coming. He talked a lot about that. He said... um He said, I wasn't hot yet. I was warm. Like those safeties didn't even get to him. That's when now we jumped to the Xavier Johnson touchdown where in the slot, they blitzed the two deep safeties at zero coverage. He was saying like, you've always got to have a beater for zero coverage, right? Where it's like, what am I going to do? You got to have a play. You got to be ready for that every game that there's going to be something happening where they're going to bring the house on you. You're going to have no deep safeties. And what are you going to do? And CJ had something ready for that. So we know how smart he is. He, he, I think you can't give too much credit for that third down play because just imagine them punting in that situation. So it wasn't uh, statistically spectacular. It wasn't smooth the entire game as it often is. It was awesome in certain moments when you absolutely needed it. And absolutely, if you have another quarterback in those situations, it's it's very possible. Um, Well, he doesn't make that play. And it's possible you lose the game as a result. So I think we can't give enough credit to the third and three. And we'll continue to have a CJ Stroud conversation. Was that helpful? I love the conversation. Steven wrote it up uh, Tuesday afternoon. I love the conversation with Stagey about, uh, about that play. He was saying like, my, and that's more of my, he said that's my best friend on the team. I didn't know that. So he's talking about like that guy in that situation, how awesome that was, how he felt. And I was like, man, when you watch that in the moment, because he was talking about last year he had to learn to enjoy the wins because like he said until he got about halfway through the year he wasn't enjoying the wins i think it was just stressed out all the time that he wasn't enjoying the wins. so i said a play like that either in the moment or on film how do you feel about that i was trying to see if he was like do you enjoy that he's like in the moment he was just sort of like you know whatever you got to make a play and then on film he's like you know no i said don't you look and say Wow, that's pretty good, CJ. He's like, ah, oh, no, I'm not really like that. I was like, well, I would be like that. So huge play. He can take you all through um, through it, what he saw, what wasn't there. And again, sort of the newfound ability. Ryan is talking about it's Coach Mick. You get in better shape. You're a little quicker. You're a little more mobile. He could do it last year, but he's a little more comfortable doing it now. So we want to give credit to that play. And again, he had one like it to a mecca earlier in the game. But that play was really amazing. Quickie on this from the 614. It's our guy, Don R. Oh, I have a rant. First of all, I was really impressed by the defense and the overall play. Great game, and it played out so much differently than a lot of us expected. Now, the rant. I hate to watch games on ESPN or ABC. They turn up the ambient sound level so high you can't hear the announcers. They also must place a microphone in the middle of the band. What is the point of having Herbie and Company commentate a game if you can't understand what they're saying? They started doing this a couple years ago. It's so annoying. I'm glad they may not be televising our Buckeye football games in the future. Great job, as always, with the Buckeye Talk stuff. Uh, listen. I in like when I re-watch an Ohio State game, you're I'm jumping around and stuff. I'm not really listening to the broadcast the way you guys do, but I did watch LSU Florida State that way, and I thought the exact same thing. I couldn't believe how so often after a play, I think it was Greg McElroy maybe was doing that game. The analyst is jumping in with commentary and all you're hearing is the band. It's insane. I really am having a problem with the cheesy announcers who act like they're talking to a kindergarten class. And some of the directing of these shows, it's like, play the band. People like music. What is that? I I don't like, let's do a football game. It's not a music concert. I like music concerts. But if somebody in the middle of the music concert came on stage and started throwing a football, I'd say, that's silly. Let the band be background, not primary. You have to be able to hear the announcers. I, I can't believe someone else sent a rant on this because I was going crazy during LSU Florida State over this thing. So yes, turn down the band. The band is an absolutely vital part of college football. But it is background noise. Let's talk about football and let's not talk about cheesy ding dong stories. Let's talk about football during the games. Oh, so good. Mayan. A lot on Mayan Williams. From the 740, Mayan Williams is a better suited running back for this offense. He runs hard downhill and takes what's in front of him, whereas I think Henderson is still searching for big plays. Trey should be the number two back on this team. Multiple games last year, and again on Saturday, Mayan has proven to be the more consistent player. Trey has the breakaway speed, but just as many no-gain plays as big plays, Mayan is a much more consistent back and is better in pass pro. A lot like that. From the 937, I'm tired of the mind, Williams slander. I've stood around all these years while everyone says he's just a spellback. If you need to rely on him to win, you're screwed. No, he runs hard. He never stops. He's the man. I sent this Saturday night while several mixed drinks were in. I'm proud of my punctuation skills, to be honest. From the 937, always like the ones with the mixed drinks punctuation. From the 614, Right now, Mayan Williams is the best running back on the team. No one would say his ceiling is higher than Trey's, but against Notre Dame, he was breaking tackles better, had better vision, and had perhaps the best catch of the game, receivers included. I agree, I agree with that. That was a great catch. I also got chills when he had three defenders draped on him, and it clearly made him run even harder and angrier. If I were an opposing defender right now, I think I'd prefer seeing 32 in the backfield, meaning the, the defenders would rather see Trey Mayan has earned equal timeshare in big games, and I wouldn't mind at all if he got more work in the game. If he can, continues to play like this, he's not Master Teague. That I agree with. He's not Master Teague. He's better than Master Teague. From the 614, Mayan Williams is the best running back on the team and has been criminally underrated. Trey Henderson has more potential down the road, but Mayan is the man right now. His combination of strength, agility, and absolute dog mentality are clear to see. That, if This one goes on, but we have, um, we have the idea. And from the 908, Mayan should be the every down back. Henderson should be the change of pace back. to carries versus, and 3-5 to catches a game. So, um, that's the Mayan pro side, and I double-checked the stats on Mayan and Trey in this game. Trevion ended up up with uh, 15 carries for 91. Mayan ended up 14 carries for 84. At halftime, Trevion Henderson had 5 carries for 36. Mayan Williams had 4 carries for 20. They went Trey in the first series, Trey in the second series, Mayan in the third series, Trey in the fourth series, and then Mayan started the fifth series, and then Trey finished the fifth series. And there were only five drives in the first half. Second half, Trey series six, but they didn't run it at all. They went three and out. Mayan series seven, three carries for 15. Trey series eight, four carries for 19. And so they had eight series, eight full series, into the the go-ahead touchdown drive that put them up 21-10. Going into that final drive, Travion Henderson had nine carries for 55 yards, and Travion, uh, excuse me, Travion Henderson had nine carries for 55 yards, Mayan Williams had seven carries for 35 yards, going into the go-ahead touchdown drive. On that final touchdown drive, which is the ninth real series of the game, Travion started in the game, they were in the shadow of their goal line, they start at the five-yard line, they go, Trey, Trey, and he gets 12 yards on two carries to make sure they don't go three and out. So let's not underrate that. Then they put in Mayan, and Mayan gets the final seven carries of that drive. They run 10 of the 14 plays. Mayan ends up going seven for 49 on that drive, plus he has the one catch for 12 yards. And then the last drive, the final put-away drive after Notre Dame did nothing and punted back, Trey went three for 21. Final totals, 15 for 91, Mayan 14 for 84. So Mayan had seven carries for 35 before the go-ahead touchdown drive, and then had seven carries for 49 on the final touchdown drive. So he had half his carries and more than half his production on one drive that he did not start in the middle of the fourth quarter, which I think is exactly what you want a spellback—I don't like that phrase—but like what a backup running back should do for you. Because in that situation, Mayan, who did not start the drive because Trevion started the drive— It's a 14-play drive. Mayan's in like on play like four or five. is fresh because it's the middle of the fourth quarter and he only has seven carries. So he is fresh and the defense is tired and he's running through tackles, which is absolutely how that should work. That is exactly what Mayan Williams can do for you in that situation. What a fresher back who has not carried the load all night can do for you. What having two guys that you believe in can do. So, yes, Mayan Williams is better than Master Teague. The slander, I think, that people, if you think there's been slander on this podcast, it's, from my standpoint at least, it's me saying he's not a number one back for a championship team. And I have not changed my mind on that. So, in the end, now, could you get into more of a split Less of a two-thirds, one-third. Again, Travion got the first two drives. They alternated drives the rest of the game. It went Travion, Travion, Mayan, Travion, Mayan. And Travion also came in on that drive. Then it went Travion, Mayan, Travion. And then Mayan came in on that drive. No, 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 we didn't. Then Travion. Second half, Travion, Mayan, Travion. Then the last drive, Travion started, Mayan finished. So they are basically sharing the stats are 15 carries, 14 carries, plus Mayan had the catch. But that breakdown is also leaning a little heavier, Trey, early on and before the final drive. Trey was averaging more yards per carry. So I just want to make sure that we are not putting too much on what was a great icing drive by Mine Williams and that Ohio State offense, which is what Ohio State does—they wear you down. He's a great second back to a breakaway guy like Travion. I I understand the passion around running hard and breaking tackles. I think if you have national title goals, you need a home run threat in the backfield. So what you need is your home run threat to run hard, like when Travion then when he got in late in that game, and I think in the final, final drive and truck to safety, right? You guys saw that. So if I was reluctant or skeptical on Mayan at times, I do believe he clearly can help this team as a number two back. I think if you make him... I mean, really, if you really want to get to a point... So those carries are 15 and 14. And Travion got the first two series of the game. And Travion started the second half. If you're having Mayan in to wear people down to then go to Trey, I don't think you want to do that as much. I just... I think you're underestimating uh top-level ability. And I think you're underestimating how valuable it is to be able to be the secondary back who can have seven carries in the middle of the fourth quarter or 11 minutes left in the game, and then seven carries on a single drive, which is what Mayan had. He absolutely did his job, but that's his job right now. And 15 and 14, that breakdown, I, st- I, I still think it should be a little more Travion, but if that's what it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. If you, want tri- if you want Mayan to get more, I think you're maybe just asking for something that's not going to be as effective as what this is now. So let me do this one quick from the six one four. I love Mayan Williams. He's a good, solid player who is much better than his recruiting ranking and played really well against Notre Dame. But the idea that he should he should have any more than twenty five percent of the carries in a game of importance is flat out wrong to me. Travion Henderson is a completely different is in a completely different league, and it drives me nuts that the cultish fans of Mayan Williams want to take carries away from Trey. I like a good underdog story like anyone else, but it needs to stop. I'm closer to that. I I am. Um, I, I'm closer to that. From the 412, trying to save Travion for the NFL is going to cost him a lot of money on his NFL rookie deal. Either he is upset about the lack of opportunity and probably has had the transfer word pop into his mind at least once, or he is on board with this plan to save tread on the tires. Either way, what feels like first-round talent could wind up in the mid-to-late second round, if not worse. I don't know why Day is so averse to running the ball in general, especially that it's working. Then compounding that with them using Mayan as the hot hand when they do finally start to run, and I hope Trey is thinking, what the heck. Okay, so I do think this is possible. We're in a situation where Trevion Henderson's going to wind up being the lead back, at a Power 5 school for three years because he did it as a true freshman. Most guys don't do it as a true freshman. I don't know that in Trey's mind, and this is pure speculation by me, I don't know that in Trey's mind, three years of, of number one back carries is what he wants. Some situation where this is some split, It's a, clearly it was a split against the number five team in the country, where it's some kind of split where maybe it's more like 60-40 than 75-25. I think he might be on board with that because then I think in 2023 he's the guy. And maybe he makes a Heisman run. And maybe they lean. Maybe he's up there the way J.K. Dobbins made a run at 2,000 yards and had a gazillion carries his true junior year after splitting time his sophomore year. And it didn't work for J.K. Maybe it can. It didn't work for J.K. as a sophomore. Maybe it can work for Travion as a sophomore. I think Tony Alford can manage this. And I do think for Trey, if it's like I was the lead guy as a freshman. I was a league guy as a sophomore, but it was kind of a split. And then as a junior, I did my thing and put myself in draft position. I I wouldn't be worried about um, Trevion right now, like that he's upset. I, I think that would be an assumption on our part that's not there. But I do think it's kind of interesting that you get in that situation where the backup running back finishes off the icing drive in a game like that. After Trey got you out of the shadow of the end zone, with two carries for 12 yards on the first two plays of that drive. So we're having a lot of hot hand conversation in the end. I think Mayan Williams is a great number two Big Ten back. I think if you want that as your lead back to win a national title, I'm not sure that's going to get you there. So I don't think he's Brian Robinson, right? Bama last year had a huge physical guy as their running back in Brian Robinson. Mine's not that. And then... You need that explosiveness. So I just think, I will admit to underrating Mayan Williams. But I think if you're asking for Mayan to be ahead of Trey when entering the final drive that mattered, Trey was 9 for 55 and Mayan was 7 for 35. And then Mayan coming in for Trey in the middle of the drive went to work. Great job going to work. I don't agree with the leap of Mayan's now the guy but we can continue that conversation. If your main point is, Doug, you have underrated and disrespected Mayan Williams, I'll probably give you that point. He's not Master Teague. He's a good number two. He's a very good number two running back in the Big Ten. And we had gone through this in the preseason. He probably could start for all but like five teams in the Big Ten, but he shouldn't start for Ohio State. All right. All right. uh, Back with more rants and takes on this Buckeye talk after this. All right. That got deep because people have lots of thoughts on that. This is another timeshare question from the 513. Pulling out Josh Proctor and playing Lathan Ransom was my favorite coaching decision at Ohio State in years. Not because I have any issue with Proctor, but because it showed decisiveness and accountability by the coaching staff. I have been so sick of the coaches playing older or more established guys and just riding out the ups and downs when someone isn't getting it done. Another guy should get an opportunity. If the second guy is getting it done, keep him in the game from the 5-1-3. You guys have talked about ruthlessness in the past, and I think this is the first time in recent memory it has actually happened with in-game decisions, and I love it. That is the benefit of having a depth of talent, not just rotating a bunch of guys through the same spot or having security in case of injury, but having another guy to stick in when things aren't going right, and the second guy having the talent to seize the opportunity. So, I agree. I think it was the right move. It worked. Josh Proctor played five total snaps after missing the first tackle of the game. Perry Eliano asked about that a lot on Tuesday. There's a story on Wednesday morning at cleveland.com where Stephen Means laid it all out. But the bottom line is Perry Eliano says, I never have a game plan for stuff like that going in. I coach with my heart. I love being on the sideline. I love, giving, I love coaching with feel and seeing what's happening in the game, what our team needs, what our guys need. And he just thought he needed to get Josh Proctor out of there to settle Josh Proctor down. And then Lathan Ransom played awesome. So that was that. Doesn't mean Josh Proctor's not going to play anymore. I will say... I thought both Ryan Day and Perry Eliano really hit the, like, we're going to need Josh. Josh, you know, Josh was great in handling this. Perry Eliano says on Sundays, he talks to every single guy he has. So as a safety coach, he has a bunch of guys to talk to. Had a one-on-one meeting with Josh Proctor, just like everybody else on Sunday. Tuesday morning, he said Josh Proctor was in watching film. Perry in there watching film with them. They said a lot, a lot of nice things about the way Josh Proctor was handling it. Almost such nice things that made me wonder if he's not going to play much anymore, but Credit to Josh Proctor, credit to Josh Proctor. Okay, but more credit to Lathan Ransom for taking care of business, and it feels like that's what they're going to do. So, Lathan Ransom, as noted, Jim Knowles had been talking him up all preseason. So that idea that it was him that he did that, right? I was driving the Court Williams bus. My bus got ran out of gas, had a flat tire. Lathan Ransom bus sped by. Lathan Ransom was ready for that, but I think that Perry Eliano, I coach with my heart, I coach with field, that's what we needed. I don't know what it means down the line, but I also am anticipating that like Lathan Ransom might get more pro- snaps than Josh Proctor in most games going forward now. I think Josh Proctor will play more than five snaps, and maybe even Josh Proctor starts. But um, if you were looking for that, I understand exactly where this texture from the five one three is coming from, embracing seeing that, right? Embracing seeing that. From the 419, the perception I got from many uh, Ohio State beat writers and media is that this was a good win, but this is a team, but is this a team in the tier with Alabama and Georgia? So from the media, Ohio State media, good win, but is it in the tier with Alabama and Georgia? My question is, if this team had won 45-27, would we have those questions? They would have covered, but the questions about the defense would still exist. I'm confident that the offense isn't an issue and will be the same as last year. But the D changed the way I view this team. The, they play, um, that I'm feeling really good about this team's chances that I feel better than I did prior to the Notre Dame game. So there's a, sort of another, like, second general thing here where some people were comparing Georgia's win over Clemson a year ago in the opener. What was it, 10-3? To Ohio State's win here. And why did Georgia get credit for that? And is Ohio State not getting as much credit for this. So in the end... I guess it depends how you look at it. Georgia a year ago, when they shut down Clemson, the thing they're good at was awesome. And the thing you had questions about, you still had questions about. And if you don't think people were questioning Georgia after beating Clemson last year, they certainly were. People were like, I don't know. Is this offense going to be good enough? JT Daniels? Or is it going to be Stetson Bennett? What? Like George Pickens is hurt? I don't know. if like This defense is great, but I don't know. So this is the opposite of that. Because The thing Ohio State's good at wasn't as good as usual. And the thing they have a problem with was very, very good. So in the end, um, I can see why you draw a comparison there. And I think this texter spoke for a lot of people in saying, why are you saying that they're not in the same tier as Alabama and Georgia? And I just would encourage you to watch Alabama and Georgia defensively. (laughs) Uh, I just think the... I think the general talent is still at a different level. And as well as Ronnie Hickman and Steele Chambers and the defensive line as a whole played. Um, and Notre Dame certainly had a game plan where they weren't going to stand back there and try to make throws and they were going to try to limit what they were doing. I thought they did a great job, a great job shutting down Michael Mayer, which really matters. Perry Aliano talked about that. They had a game plan for Notre Dame's best player that absolutely worked. You get a ton of credit for that. You could sort of look at Notre Dame's best big plays as like maybe a little bit lucky. The missed tackle early, the bobbling catch in the sideline on their touchdown drive, you know, the Michael Mayer leaping play, the only real big play he made. Um, you know, the deep ball that Notre Dame hit was good. That was a legitimate thing. But um, I I just would like, you've got to watch Georgia and Alabama and the... The side of the ball where Ohio State's talent pops, the defense played great, but we're mostly talking scheme. They have really good players. George's defense last year was like filled with first-rounders. So where the talent pops is Ohio State's offense, and who are we talking about the offense? Trevion Henderson, who some people think isn't as good as Mayan Williams, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who didn't play, and CJ, who made some big plays but wasn't at his best, right? Offensive line played well, but we didn't see they had 14 points and started at their five yard own five-yard line with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So where they pop didn't pop. Where their problems were was really good, but please watch Alabama and Georgia. And so we're going to have, a, I guess, is this the poll discussion? The poll discussion, we're going to have that in the I'm exhausted as a fan part, which is our second to last one. I'll save it for that. You have to look at everything in context and I think you guys understand this, the standard is super high at Ohio State. We're talking about the Ohio State standard because nobody at Ohio State was happy to, to go 10-2 and two last year and miss the playoff. So we're talking about, does it get you in the playoff? Can you win a national championship? And that means at times it sounds like you're talking down the win over number five Notre Dame and you're saying, how come they're not as good as the top two teams in the country? And it sounds like you're down on Ohio State, which I'll save for a second. Okay. That wasn't that good. That wasn't that good by me. This one's better. From the 419, hear me out. I really feel like you guys blow off the idea that CJ should run more. Notre Dame was very keyed in on CJ not being a running threat. They drop guys into coverage, and they have basically zero concern about keeping their eyes on the quarterback. Without Wilson and Olave... CJ can help these younger receivers out by giving defenses something else to worry about. He could have scampered out of bounds for 10-yard gains all night, and that forces the defense to bring guys closer to the line and let those receivers get more separation on longer developing route concepts. When the quarterback has to be accounted for, you can't bracket guys as often. The entire offense is helped when CJ scrambles for 25 yards a game. It's about lifting up these younger guys as a veteran. So CJ sort of talked about that specifically and said, I don't want to run. Because I don't think my receivers would like that because they're out there doing work and trying to get open and they don't want to see me running around. That's a paraphrase. I still don't think that's the answer. Some other people have come around more on CJ Stroud needs to run. He needs to run to throw. He needs to run. He needs to use his legs. I like when in football, we end up using the phrase, use your legs. I do it too, right? It's like, hey, Are you going to use your legs to go to the park? It's like, am I going to walk to the park? Yeah. So he's got to use his legs. Legs is walking and running. He has to run to throw. Does he have to run? I mean, if we're talking about three scrambles a game for 21 yards, right? That's fine. Like, that's not, I I don't, I don't think it's zone read. I, that's just, I mean, Tom Brady doesn't run zone read. I don't think that's what it is. Little scrambles here and there. Sure. I mean, if there's free yards to be taken, especially if they don't respect it, I mean, I I get that, but I don't, I just think you might be waiting for something that's not going to come. I I know some other people think that this, there can be more to this. And I do think in the modern passing game, when you are that threat, especially when they're dropping eight and nine, as as, as Notre Dame was doing a lot and you're staring at coverage, and everybody's back, and you have plenty of time, and there's not much pass rush, and you're in control, but nobody's open. If there's a free seven yards, take a free seven yards. If that's the point, three to four scrambles a game for 20 to 25 yards. If that's the point, I'm not disagreeing. I also think they're fine without it. I mean, that's not, in the end, what the deal is. But you're talking about be enough of a run threat to open up more throws. If you're asking for more than that, I just think you're asking for the wrong thing because that's not what they asked Tom Brady to do, right? And this guy this guy is a pick-you-apart kind of passer. So I don't love the conversation because I almost feel like scrambling for 25 yards, that's like a, yeah, okay. Like that's not a long conversation to me. That's not a should CJ run more conversation. I'm not disagreeing with the text or saying what they're saying, but that's not a, do we need to sit down and talk about how this offense works? That's on occasion, do you need to take it if it's there? Great. But more than that, I'm just not there, and I think I think you're waiting for the wrong thing. Um, if you if you wind up trying to wait for that, okay. Very relevant. Now we're getting to two super relevant ones from the four one nine. After night games, it might be better to record the post game pod the following morning. Two of the three hosts, obviously, you mean me and Nathan. Just say it. You don't have to be vague. The old cranky guys were old and cranky. Just say it. Sounded exhausted and cranky. The information broadcasted was solid, but it was difficult to listen at times. Just my two cents. Thank you from Handsome Tom. So Handsome Tom, I say cram it. I'm just kidding. I don't mean cram it. Uh, We probably were cranky. And you're probably responding to the fact that Nathan didn't like me interrupting him when he started doing coach speak early in the podcast, I just, I don't allow coach speak on Buckeye Talk, but he was like, I just love to hear myself talk. So he's, in the moment, I just hope you all notice that when Nathan took a personal shot at my personality, even though it's true, just because something's true doesn't mean it doesn't hurt feelings. And I'm gonna, I almost said something there, but that I'm not allowed to say now because of something I'm about to read. Um, I also, I thought it was magnanimous of me to let that go by. But I like that. I mean, I like real conversation. What are we going to do? Edit it out when we snap at each other? I mean, you get it. But also, it stinks to be up at 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning. We were up, I mean, we were like at 4.30 in the morning still recording that pod. It blows up your whole week. I'm still exhausted from it. Like, it's insane. It's why I'm not going to do this forever. Because like, it's, I can't, it's not a normal human thing to be doing your job at 4 o'clock in the morning. Unless your job starts at eight o'clock at night, but, but, you know, I was at the stadium at one. So, um, I don't think, I don't think we'll often sleep because it's like the, you need the energy unless you're just absolutely dead. I just think the energy of this just happened. To me, the value of the post game pod is riding that wave of energy. It is instant analysis, but I think it's more, we were at the stadium. We talked to people. We're trying to take that energy and give it to you. I don't think it's the most cohesive analysis because there might be things that you guys saw on TV that we didn't see. We're relaying information as, as you know, what players said. But also we're doing a million things during the game. Sometimes, you know, we're not a thousand percent. Off. We talked about this. Like we're texting. We're getting our stories ready to write, especially on deadline. We're doing a lot of different things. We're not just watching Every single second, right? So then when you go back and you rewatch on TV, sometimes you get more cogent analysis later, but that's an energy pod to me. That's an energy together. Let's ride this energy wave. And sometimes the energy is cranky. (laughs) But it is a point taken, as is this point. This is our eighth rant. From the 214, I've got a rant. Y'all need to stop setting yourselves up for Buckeye talk jokes. It's like setting yourself up for a that's what she said joke. It totally loses the poignancy when the person sets themselves up. If Steven says something like just talking nonsense, he can't then be the person to say Buckeye Talk. Either Nathan or Doug needs to be the one to jump on that. Similarly, if I said to my wife at the grocery store, yeah, I think that sausage is big enough, I can't be the one to say that's what she said. My wife needs to jump on that opportunity or the opportunity is lost and the joke loses its meaning. This is clearly the biggest issue plaguing Ohio State football, and I'd like to see it addressed from the 214. That's what this is all about. So in the previous cranky rant, I almost—I would have normally said Buckeye talk, but I think it's fair for us to now try to hold ourselves to this standard. So I will tell Nathan and Stephen... This will we will attempt to make this the policy going forward. You can't buckeye talk yourself. Man, I want to say it. You can't buckeye talk yourself. Your friend has to buckeye talk you. I feel like Ryan Day with the play sheet in my hand like I don't know what like uh okay. We'll do our best. Great suggestion. Boy, do I love this kind of podcasting. Thanks for all your great rants. No, it's really good. And I think it's appropriate. We'll come back. Two more big ones, actually, about football. I can't say it. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, the last two things. The main one for number two is this kind of idea from the 614. Being an Ohio State football fan can be exhausting at times. You can beat a top-five team by double digits in the first week of the season, and a portion of the fan base and media will immediately begin to question and nitpick certain aspects. Play calling, stroud performance, young wide receiver play. It feels as if the team doesn't perform to 100% of their optimum ability, then people won't be happy. Uh, that, I think, is true. I I think that's right. From the four one nine. Doug here. I assume this is a different Doug. I don't think I sent this. It never ceases to amaze me how Buckeye fans can blow off a major victory like Saturday's over Notre Dame. We went and complain about how they won. They didn't cover the spread. Day's play calling shows he doesn't know when to run. Notre Dame, Notre Dame didn't look like a top five team to me. Georgia and Alabama would have killed Notre Dame. My take? This was a huge win that sets up Ohio State for a potential season of a lifetime. I'm pumped. Come on, Buckeye Nation. Get excited. So this is, that's the main thing, that it can be exhausting. And maybe I need to tweak my view on this a little bit. I wrote after the playoff announcement, are you going to miss the devastating loss feeling? The hole in your soul after Michigan State 2015, right? The kind of loss you'll never get over that frankly is part of being a sports fan. It really is. Maybe what a 12-team expanded playoff will do in a world where Ohio State's going to make it every year, maybe it will decrease the exhaustion level after games like this. Because there won't be any reason to have a ton of talk about positioning and comparison and how do you look against Georgia and Alabama and that kind of thing, because you're going to make it. Especially because you just beat the top five team. You're going to make it. So maybe... If you lose the hole in the soul, do you enjoy the wins more? Because for instance, Florida State LSU, right? That is that tier of teams. And Shahan and I talked about this on the bonus apple podcast. I hope you guys are listening to the College Football Survivor Show. That one, uh, the free one each week will also be out Wednesday. I'm getting I'm gonna record that that'll be recorded Wednesday morning. LSU Florida State are in a like that tier of blue bloods who are under expectations right now. But I think Florida State fans enjoyed the heck out of that game. It was a crazy game. You had so many emotional turns. You were overjoyed with your team. You were angry with your team. Then you knew your team got lucky, but you still got a dub. And nobody, I don't think anybody in Tallahassee is coming out of that win saying, yeah, well, does that beat Clemson? I don't think anyone's coming out of that win saying, yeah, well, Are we still the third best team in Florida behind Florida and Miami? Because Florida beat Utah and Miami blew somebody out. Oh yeah, we beat LSU, but who cares? We're still only the third best team in our state. What's wrong? I don't know the people are doing that. I think they're going like, man, that game. And I do think we go, man, that game. Less than a lot of other fan bases. Less than a lot of other media. Because we're constantly putting it in context. And it can be exhausting. So I would say... I'm not going to stop doing that because I do feel like that's part of my job. But you can stop. And this is Doug playing. I'm giving you permission to stop doing that. We'll worry about context. We'll worry about Bama, Georgia. and And if we're driving you nuts when we talk about it, turn us off. Because we're also going to have fun. We're also going to talk about who made great plays. We're also going to talk about my call, right? We talked about my call after the game. We're writing about my call. People sending it about my call. He played great. He played great, right? You don't have to do that. Enjoy your wins, right? I, I, I think that's an absolutely fine way to do it. We're analyzing things. You're rooting for things. And I guess maybe a 12-team playoff is going to make everything just there's less to analyze because you're going to make it. So I I can get the idea, and I think a lot of you guys feel it, that after a win like that, there's, there's sort of like, why aren't people enjoying it more? From the 419, why are Nathan and Doug so critical of Stroud after a win over a top-five team from the 419? Because we're constantly contextualizing this team. Because we're constantly... Comparing Ohio State against its best version of itself, because in the end, the best version of itself is what it must be to achieve its ultimate goal, which is to win a national title, especially in the season after where they missed the playoff. So I am not changing. But so what if we agree to this? I'm going to keep doing what I do. You can be mad at me and you can complain to your friends about me while you are enjoying it. Does that make sense? Is that an agreement? Um, This is a version of being exhausted. From the 813, I am as diehard as any Ohio State fan, but my goodness, this is the most sensitive fan based on social media in the country. Everyone is complaining about dropping in the polls, not getting credit for a top five win, Possibly saying Notre Dame's offense isn't that great, etc. It's week one. Relax. It will work itself out in the end as long as the Buckeyes take care of business. I'm so sick of seeing half the fan base act like there's a conspiracy out there against this program. This is the the polls thing that's part of it. So that's we're all in the same range here. Don't get mad at each other. From the 3-3-0, I know you don't agree, and in the end it will not matter as the polls will take care of themselves, but there is no way you beat the number five team in the country and a historic program without your best player by double digits and dropping the polls. Oregon is trash. That is a team that will not be ranked by midseason, and the national media will consider it a win over a ranked team. How is that that Georgia had a seven-point win over Clemson to start last year, and this win by double digits is not good enough to hold your rankings? It's garbage. Like, that's just, you don't Georgia destroyed the number 11 team in the country. And Ohio State was ahead 14-10 on its own five-yard line and then beat the number five team in the country by 11. And Bama's number one. And Bama's not dropping. Again, Nathan and I had this argument, not argument, but debate on the other one. Resume voting, would you go Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Bama 3? Maybe. Are people going to... Going to take Bama out of number one? No. Georgia destroyed the number 11 team in the country. Ohio State beat the number five team in the country. Like, you have to be able to see that. And it's not dropping. Nobody owns their spot week to week. It's not dropping. Like, that's an old poll conversation. So, if you want to keep having it, that's fine. But it's an old conversation. So, Like, and you guys know that I don't like that conversation. So maybe I should just not react when you send me stuff about it. And it's like, I know you're not, you're going to disagree. Yeah, I am going to disagree. And everybody who wants to get rid of the polls. So, you know what we talked about a ton this week? How they had a top five win. If there's no AP poll, there's no conversation about that. So if you're like, the polls are stupid, then you can't have the conversation. Then you can't complain about a top five win because nobody's ranked and everybody's just trying hard. That's why we have polls. So you just have to interpret them the right way. That's all. That is the Doug. That I'm always going to Doug explain because I feel like I'm a I'm a pollaholic with that stuff. I hate it. I hate I I I hate the voters, but I understand and appreciate the fact that the polls need to exist and that they don't influence the committee. Oh, that's too much poll conversation as it is. This conversation matters. This is where a lot of you guys are. Ryan Day's play caller from. 7-3-4. Seven three four. 3 4 Ryan Day's play calling in tight games is highly questionable. If he doesn't change, it will cost them national championships moving forward. He comes in and seems to defiantly avoid the run. He also does the opposite of Trestle, very vanilla passing game, and he did not adjust to Notre Dame's cover 2 prevents type of defense. Why not run more when Mayan and Trey were getting good yards in the first half? Day also punted from the 40 of Notre Dame. He only does that in big games. Can someone please ask Day why he doesn't run in big games? And this game for three quarters, Doug, it's time for you to ask tough questions. And let's not go there. Okay. I, I asked tough co- Now you're making me mad. I mean, you guys know that. Um, we will get into it. If it, like, we will, we will have that conversation. We will. With Ryan Day. We will. I mean, I will. From the 304. Oh, Ohio State will lose a game this season because of Ryan Day's ego. The fact it was clear the pass game was not going anywhere and the ability to run was there most, if not all the game. And he refused to commit to the run was super frustrating. He loves to throw the ball and feels like he runs reluctantly, whether it's because he recruits so well for passing or because he he is known for whatever reason that he's not going to run unless he he absolutely has to. 2020 Northwestern and 2021 Tulsa are proof of that. One game... um, Against a more capable offense that scores more, and Ohio State will lose. Not because the defense was bad or the offense was shut down, but because Day will have refused to com- to commit to the run before the fourth quarter, when the passing game clearly isn't working. And this last one, from the five six one take, Ryan Day needs to find an offensive coordinator who he has absolute trust in and hands over big play hands over play calling. Day seems to lose his edge a bit in big games and gets pretty pass happy, even when the whole world can see that running the ball will work. He needs to focus on adjustments and clutch game moments and allow someone else to call the drive to drive offense. He can absolutely step in and veto adjust as he sees fit. I feel like this would unlock something new in our scheme. So I just don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Ohio State, I think Gene Smith wants him doing this. This is where they feel like he makes his best biggest money, right? Recruiting and calling offense. So this is where I probably have my biggest quibble With the idea that Ohio state like was always going to win that Ohio state sort of controlled this game. It's because they didn't. And again, that the idea of like, we got physical, it's what you, well, you didn't until the final drive. So we had to win this way. Well, you kind of had to win this way. When you're only up 14-10 with 12 minutes or whatever it is, 11-12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, you had to win that way, which is a 95-yard, 14-play, seven-minute drive, 10 runs, four passes, to ice it because you weren't doing that before. Because you weren't throwing it especially well. You weren't. But you also weren't running it. Second drive of the game, no runs. Third drive of the game, two runs. Fourth drive of the game, two runs opening drive of the second half no runs right i i think there is something to this and i do think ryan day is always waiting he believes in the pass game and believes in cj stroud so strongly he's always waiting for it to come around i do think it's a lot like shooting your out of a shooting yourself out of a slump as a three point shooting team the warriors are going to always take threes And maybe you lose a game because you keep taking threes because you're so confident they're eventually going to start to go down. And if they do start to go down, you're going to blow the other team off the court. But if you keep shooting them and you give up the opportunity to throw it inside and get easy layups and dunks and go to the line, you might be passing up a chance to win that way when it's there. So Ryan Day would say, we did what we needed to do. But I would say, well, let's not act like you did it all game. You did it for 12 minutes. I I think there is something to this. Now, you can also go too far because you don't want Ohio State to be a power run team all the time. You don't want C.J. Stroud, you know, to have a couple of incompletions on the first two drives and they stop throwing the ball. I, I don't think that's the answer. I do think they can get to it earlier. And I do think they can stick with the run earlier. And I do think there may be something in Ryan Day's DNA that holds him back at least slightly from doing it. But I think part of it is the talent on the field that he looks at CJ and he looks at these receivers and thinks that this would have been an opportunity for that. No Jackson Smith and Jigba, no Julian Fleming. Let's run all night. That, if that's what they would have done, I would buy into all this more. Right. But it, I felt like it was still like they ran it like as a last resort and then they came in and said, well, how did you think we run it? We, you know, we dominated the game running it. It's like, well, you dominated the fourth quarter running it. So I think you guys are onto something here. He's not giving up play calling, and he shouldn't give up play calling. That's why Jim Knowles is the head coach of the defense. He gave up the defense. He couldn't do it all. So I thought maybe there's a chance to go CEO, get somebody like that who takes a little bit off the play calling plate, right? Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy. Andy Reid's a quarterback guy, Andy Reid's an offensive guy, but you have like your play caller where you're not play sheet all over it as much, calling every single thing. I just, that's not the decision. They very definitively leaned in to Ryan Day's play calling. They didn't back off of it at all. They leaned in to, Ryan, to Jim Knowles, head coach of the defense. But I do think, and stubbornness, I don't What's the difference between stubbornness and belief? Belief is when it works and stubbornness is when it doesn't. So I guess if the whole point is no one's complaining about Ryan Day calling a bunch of pass plays when it works. Which is probably, if if he had a a long conversation about this, I I bet he'd say that. Because it's true. It is true. So is that like when it's working, do you want to give up the, the times when the pass game would have come around and would have worked? but now you're too focused on the run game. There is a a there is a, a, an art to it, right? It's not just science. There is an art. There is a feel to it. I think I agree with sometimes he can come around late on the feel. So I think it's worth watching. I think of all the things, if you are, and don't be exhausted. I mean, I get if you're exhausted, but uh, you guys shouldn't be exhausted. You should be joyous, okay? Of all the things... That you leave from here. If there's something that hangs with you in some kind of negative way, I think maybe that's the number one thing. Do you get? Do you come around to it too late? Because again, if C.J. Stroud and we'll go back to the top. If C.J. Stroud doesn't make that third and three throw to convert that, you're punting there, and all of a sudden this game this game has a chance to get away from you, or the defense just shuts it down because they have been playing great. So that's where we are. Those are the rants. Those are the hot takes. I read them all. I do. I read them all. 131 came firing in. I love them. I, I hope you guys enjoy. We got good numbers on this version of the podcast last week, so we're going to try to keep doing it. Um, fire away with your, maybe your rant next week As Doug stinks at this. Fire away with stuff. We're going to work in a couple joke ones. Like I like the ones we had. Um, but we're going to try to hit on the things that are most important to Ohio State most of all with your opinions. Plan again on Thursday. We'll come back. We'll do rapid fire. That way we'll get Nathan and Steven's opinions involved. It'll be you asking us, and that'll be the plan. Rant with me on Wednesdays. Rapid fire with all three of us on Thursdays. You know I love interacting with you guys. We love you guys reading at cleveland.com slash OSU. We love you being part of the text at 614-350-3315. If you want some of that instantaneous reaction Tuesday afternoon, because we're not dropping the pod Tuesday afternoon, we do put up a couple videos right away after the news conferences on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and put in cleveland.com and Ohio State and it'll pop up. We had two of those up Tuesday afternoon. If you want a little mini dose of Buckeye talk then. Thanks for being part of it. Thanks for hanging with me. I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.